Hello everyone, and welcome to When Narratives Collide. I am Scott Fraze, and whether this is your first time listening or you are returning, we are glad that you're here. On today's episode, we will be looking at Deborah, the prophetess and judge of Israel, whom God raised up to bring deliverance and rest to his people. Although her story in the book of Judges is brief, it is in no way insignificant, as she plays an integral role in God's redemptive work in this world. Now here is your host, Rachel Fraze. Welcome back to When Narratives Collide. We're in the series Women of Scripture and Their Untold Stories, and today we get to look at the narrative of Deborah. Now, I'm so excited to be able to jump into her story and look a little bit more closely at what her story is and how it unfolds. As we look at Deborah's story in scripture, we're going to see some interesting things as we see she's a prophetess, a leader, a politician, a defender, and even a worship leader as we're going to see in Judges chapter 5 with the song of Deborah. The story of Deborah arrives to us somewhat paradoxically as we see a woman that is in leadership. She's called a prophetess. We see her operate as a politician. Deborah leads Israel spiritually, economically, and militarily. But more than that, Deborah defends and gives voice to the oppressed. Several commentators actually believe that Deborah was a mother, and it was out of this role in her life that she ends up defending those that are the least of society, those that are most vulnerable. And therefore, when she sees the oppression that is happening within Israel's borders, she stands in the place as Israel's defender. Now, I think the paradox comes in when we look at the heroics of her story, that she was a woman about justice. She was a woman that stood in militarily. She was leading Israel. She was a worship leader. This woman did it all. And yet we don't hear much of her story within the church today. My husband and I were actually attending a church at one time many, many years ago, and this church did not believe in women in ministry, and the pastors up front said that you will never hear a woman teaching or having authority over a man. This church wasn't a bad church. They said what they believed and why they believed it, and they were open to conversation. And two of my friends who were looking into this belief system and really exploring what they believed and why they believed it asked to have a conversation with one of the pastors. These incredibly intelligent women came with a list of questions of things that they saw in the Bible that really supported women being in ministry, women having authority in the church and outside of the church. And so they wanted to know more fully what the church believed and why they believed it. Now, I love this. I love conversation that can happen and take place within the safety of community, of loving people and asking questions and diving in deeper of what we believe and why we believe it. 
So I applaud this pastor for actually being willing to have a conversation with people that are in process and exploring what they believe. But ironically, I thought it was interesting some of the questions that these friends brought to the pastor in his response to the questions. And one point that my friend brought was, what do you do with Deborah? Deborah's story is hard to sweep under the rug. You see her leading. You actually see that the military leaders refused to go to war without Deborah. That she was so trusted and so known within Israel that they knew if she didn't go, they didn't have the full authority in this military endeavor. Not only that, we see that she's a prophetess. We see her leading worship. We see her as a politician. So I don't think that Deborah as a character or person within the Bible is easy to explain away. Now, to this pastor's credit, he did not try to explain away the story of Deborah. However, he didn't even know who Deborah was. As my friend asked the question of, well, what do you do with Deborah? He essentially said, I don't know who Deborah is or the story. Sadly, I believe that Deborah's story often gets lost in the pages of the Bible. Sadly, I think Deborah's story is often forgotten. And sadly, I think Deborah's story is often overlooked. Now, the narrative of Deborah actually takes place during the time of Judges, which you see within the book of Judges, chapters 4 and 5. Historically, this is after the conquest of the land of Joshua. The book of Judges actually opens up with the death of Joshua in chapter 1. God had called Israel to be his worshiping missionary community, and that included to the Canaanites. However, quickly after they entered into the land, they began to look just like the Canaanites. They fell into sin, and they forgot who God was and what God had done for them. You see this cycle in Judges of the people falling into their sin, these nations rising up and defeating them, them crying out because of their oppression, God sending a deliverer, and then them falling into sin again. And so it's in this cycle that we actually see the judgeship of Deborah take place. Now, Deborah judged and arose as a voice of the people of Israel during a very bleak time in Israel's history. We see that over and over again, they fall under the oppression of their enemies. God's people over and over again are defeated. Now, during the time of Deborah, they're actually being oppressed and enslaved by King Jabin of Canaan and Hazar. Deborah is not the first judge during this time period. However, we do see that Deborah is distinct in her judgeship. A lot of times we see a lot of moral 
failings or religious failings within the judgeships. And yet we don't really see that within Deborah's story, which is makes it kind of significant. You have to ask, how did Deborah's judgeship go against the norms of this society? What was culturally acceptable of women within this society? What was their view of women? And yet, here we see the people even recognize the authority that God has given this woman as his very spokesman. Not only is she called a prophetess, which would denote God speaking to her and her being a mediator between God and his people, but we see that she judges Israel, therefore showing that she makes political decisions as well as military decisions for Israel. Now, some people like to point out and say that this is another result of the deprivation that was happening within Israel's society, that God had no other choices and therefore he chose a woman. Now, I've actually seen this argument unfold in a lot of different arenas of ministry where there weren't enough men and so God had to just use a woman because he had nothing else. First, I think that this reduces the nature and character of God and in some way that God is making a wrong choice. Secondly, I don't think the mouthpiece of God, this prophetess, is going to be a sinful choice or God's second best. As Deborah's story begins, we see a shift or a transition within the narrative. We see a cultural deviance happen. Not only is she not what we expect or who we expect God to use to deliver his people, but she also stands apart from the other judges as this woman leader. We see her as a prophetess. We see her as a worship leader. We see her as a military leader. But not only that, we see her stand apart religiously and morally from the other deviances of God's judges or his deliverers. Now, I don't think Deborah was perfect as no human being is. And we see that God continually uses broken people. And the book of Judges is no different, that his deliverers are broken people delivering broken people. And so we see kind of this type or foreshadowing of a need of a deliverer that's perfect, that's without blemish in order to truly save God's people, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And yet Deborah does stand apart almost as this height of Israel's judgeship and leadership during this time. If we look in the text of Judges chapter 4, we see that Israel has been oppressed, truly enslaved by um, the king of Canaan, of Hazar, King Jabin, for 20 years. Now we see the commander of King Jabin's army was Sisera, and we see that it was under his oppression because in verse 
3 of chapter 4 of Judges, it says, For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And it was in this oppression that the people of Israel cry out to God, and God raises up his deliverer, Deborah. Now we see that the text now defines a little bit of who Deborah was. She was married. She was a prophetess in verse 4 of chapter 4. And it says she was judging Israel at that time. And it says that she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And Israel would come to her for judgment. So we see that there's actually a recognition within Israel of her authority and of her leadership. As we progress through the text, we actually see that Deborah summons Barak, the son of Ammonoan, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, go and gather your men? And so here we see that Deborah takes this initiative to bring Brock in militarily, but almost as the mouthpiece of God that she is relaying God's words to this man. She essentially reveals God's promises to Brock and his plan for the enemy to be defeated by this man. However, what Brock says is, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. This military leader refuses to go to war, even though God has promised essentially victory, and yet he refuses to go without Deborah. I think you can see a few things within this passage. Some people would point to the cowardice of this military leader, of Barak, but I think some people actually, I like what they see, that they actually see his recognition of her authority as well as her position, that he knew that if Deborah was with him, it would be easier to garner troops because her authority was recognized throughout Israel. Now, Deborah does relay one caveat as he says that he will refuse to go without her. And she says, that's fine, I'll go, but the glory will not go to you. It will go to a woman. Now, as you're reading this story, most people would assume that she means that the glory will go to her. And yet we see that God doesn't just use Deborah in the deliverance of his people in her leadership. He uses another woman as well. He uses Jael. Now, we don't have time to get into the story of Jael, but what we do see is this unsuspecting woman being used by God to destroy Israel's enemy, rather creatively, if I do say so myself. So Deborah goes with Barak into battle. So we see not only is she a leader, not only does she have authority, not only is she a prophetess, but now she is also a warrior. She doesn't ask her people to do anything that she herself is also not willing to do. 
Now, as we continue to look at the battle that God is delivering Israel out of, we see that Barak goes down from the mountain with 10,000 men, and the Lord causes Sisera and the chariots to go into a panic. So we see that God is the one that is orchestrating it. Interestingly enough, though, in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so we see that Deborah is really the one giving the order. And not only that, she is rallying Barak as well as Israel for the victory that God was giving into their hands. We see that God uses Deborah, Barak, and Jael all to deliver his people. But ultimately, what we see in this story, that God is the deliverer. That he is the one working on behalf of his people to deliver them once again from slavery. After King Jobin of Canaan was defeated, we see that there is this celebratory song by Deborah and Barak in Judges chapter 5. Songs were incredible tools that oral communities would use to teach people and to pass down oral tradition to younger generations. And so we see that Deborah and Barak utilize this tool not only to teach Israel, but also as a tool of remembrance of what God has done. We see motifs of the strength and the power of God through this song. If this song was utilized to teach Israel something, it should cause us to pause and ask what is being taught and is there anything we can learn from it as well. First, I think we see the power of remembrance and that Deborah and Barak want the people to remember what God has done in their history, that this is a story that should be retold. And just as significantly, how God chooses to deliver his people. We see in verse 7 of chapter 5, it says, The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So now we see that another title is given to Deborah, one of a mother. I've been reading through this book, Reading Women's Stories by John Peterson, and I really enjoyed what he said about Deborah. He said, but Deborah's main qualification was being a mother, a mother who responded to the needs of a people struggling to survive. John Peterson makes an important distinction within the poem that as we look at the embedded themes of this song, we see come to life this contrast of Deborah being the mother of Israel contrasted to the mother of Sisera. We see this in chapter 5 verse 28 and it almost seems odd that in a battle song of victory you have this picture of the enemy's family at home awaiting 
the warrior's return. Her questions of why is his chariot so long in coming, why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot, denote her worry. The use of the language that she uses, such as lattice and princesses, which could denote daughters, suggest that she is the queen that is living in luxury. And yet we see this palace turns into her prison. We see the women's role in this Canaan society and the glimpse into their life, which really signifies a subservient way of life. They wait for their men's return, vainly trying to imagine the victory. John Peterson actually says that with their men gone to war, they have no life of their own. We see even further this epitomized within women's roles that are portrayed as the poem progresses where it says they have not found and divided the spoil a womb or two for every man the women of canaan have even come to recognize and accept what happens within the spoils of war we see the two perspectives those of the pillaging soldiers and the pining canaanite women Here, the soldiers reduce captive females' identity to their sexual organs, that they're not looking for the life-giving and life-nurturing organ of birth, but rather someone to satisfy their lusts, as we can see through the language of a womb or two for every man in verse 30 of chapter 5. We see in the last stanza this curse that the poet imposes upon the enemies of Yahweh, where it says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. And Peterson says that the poet could be imposing the curse of Yahweh on those who would make captives of any other people, especially those who prey on the vulnerable and exploited members of their own society. So not only is Canaan, the king of Canaan, being cursed, but we see also possibly the curse of those that would take advantage of the vulnerable, even the women of society. And Deborah's story stands in opposition as a response to the passive life of these foreign women where Sisera's mother stays at home and wrings her hands over the fate of her son. We see that Deborah rallies her people in the midst of oppression. Deborah, the mother of Israel, responds to the needs of her people who are struggling and oppressed and enslaved. It was more than what she did that allowed the people of Israel to survive. It was her ability to identify with the life and empathize with her people's struggles. Deborah embodied hope for Israel. I'm going to read one last thing that John Peterson in Reading Women's Stories says. He says, Deborah represents what every Israelite might aspire to, man or woman, official or commoner, the virtue and initiative to respond 
to the needs of her people. Deborah was a woman that gave voice to the voiceless, that she stood in the gap for those that didn't have courage. She went when man refused to go without her. She rallied and inspired hope. She guided and directed politically and militarily. She was God's spokesman. She also taught her people to remember what God had done in their history. But I think the most inspiring thing that Deborah did was she empathized and took action. My prayer is that the church would not forget Deborah's story any longer. May we call more women towards leadership, towards rallying against injustice, oppression, and speaking out for the vulnerable in our society. May more of God's people be called to be defenders as Deborah was. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we would love to hear from you and what you are thinking. Feel free to drop us a line on our website, journeyofthephrases.com, or on the One Narratives Collide Facebook page. On our next episode, we will explore the story of Ruth, her life, and her significance in God's redemptive plan. Until then, take care and we will catch you next time.